Relating to Self. A podcast that helps you create a better relationship with yourself. Hey, I'm Joachim. Welcome. Do you realize that there is only one relationship that you will always be in? The relationship with yourself. Improving that relationship changes everything. On this podcast, I share my thoughts and I invite real people to have vulnerable conversations about how they relate to themselves and what we can learn from that. In today's episode, I speak with Elena, who has deep thoughts about both the body and the forest. Enjoy. Elena, welcome to the Relating to Self podcast. Hi. So, you used to be very deep in mathematics and technology, and then you encountered some health issues yourself. And because of that, you transitioned completely and you went into holistic healing, specifically massage and body work. And you also hang out in the woods a lot. That sounds lovely. I love hanging out in the woods as well. But today we're here to talk about how you relate to yourself. And so my first question is, when you hear these words relating to self, what is it that comes up for you? Oh, that's a fun one. The first thing that comes up is myself is so totally full of surprises. And it's my job or the role that I take on to meet all of that and consider it in the life that I create for myself. Because it's just so, so, so easy to not even witness myself accurately, I found. That was like a huge shift for me in these last two years. My own impression of myself was so completely off. And learning to update based on my feelings and experiences in the moment and really take those in as part of my own relationship to myself has been my own recent growth edge. Um, Self-trust also comes up. Um, and there's a way in which relating to myself, I mean, I feel a sort of like, ugh, like, okay, I've got to do this, don't I, about it. But I also don't want to get down on myself like that like it's my own responsibility to actually enjoy my own company and amidst the weird surprises and left turns of the past years that has sometimes been hard but I've made enough of a practice of it that I'm like all right like here you go self like I'm here with you this is weird but we're gonna do this um, so I have built up that self-trust in the last year, which is fun. Hmm. Yeah, beautiful. That's that's a lot of interesting stuff that we can we can dive into for sure. Um, I really love that you said this kind of like you know I got to do this because my my kind of tagline is always the relationship you have with yourself is the only relationship that you will always be in, right? And I know that I've, I've tweeted something about that, I think, and you reacted to that, like, hmm, that's interesting. I want to say stuff about that. But then I guess this is related to this feeling of like, I got to do this. 
you can't escape relating to yourself, let's say, because you're, you're always there. And I'm really curious about how, how the change actually happened for you, right? Because you mentioned there's quite a, quite a shift in how you used to perceive yourself and how you treat yourself now. So I'm assuming it's because of the health issues that you encountered, but I would love to know more about what that process looked like for you and how you actually decided to go that route. Yeah, it's, um, it's, I'm glad that you're asking me this now because like a year ago, I wouldn't even have been able to talk about it. It was all just so confusing. Um, that process was the one in which I finally allowed myself to steer from something other than my left brain, which is where all the confusion came from. Because suddenly I couldn't explain what I was doing. It was just like, I feel better all of a sudden when I no longer work 40 hours a week coding. And you're telling me that me feeling good is important? Because um, I guess I am an adult and I get to make my own decisions and create my own life now. Like, this is weird. I kept like looking for someone else's permission to do the things that I wanted to do. And a year and a half in, a year in, it just, that sense slowly started fading. Like I bring it up now and I'm like, oh, I totally don't do that anymore. But at first, people talk about unlearning and it was very much unlearning because there were certain patterns I had of like, oh, I'm only allowed to do things for me if they quote, make logical sense. But what happened was that I was sort of a canary in a coal mine with like all the health issues and whatnot. Like my childhood, I'm learning now, actually set me up to be like very brittle. Like I excelled at a very, very narrow range, but as soon as my life circumstances took me out of that, I just like completely fell apart to be self-compassionate about it. Um, I've tweeted a couple of times. I'm like, yeah, I actually had egregious undiagnosed PTSD that I didn't realize until one of my tech managers, honestly, he was super sweet. He had a practice of asking at our like, weekly one-to-ones he's like was there anything that made you uncomfortable last week and how can I help and just nobody had ever asked me that and meant it before which is shocking because I was 20 years old at that point maybe maybe yeah I was 20 it was when I started maybe 23 something like that but that quickly snowballed, like as soon as I answered, honestly, I was like, wait, you mean I've never not been uncomfortable in my entire life. And actually this goes really deep and I, wait, I feel, I feel terrible. Is this normal? And it was, it was not normal. So I was outside of that like narrow, brittle range that I'd grown up with. And it just got really obvious that something was wrong like my unmet emotional needs were sky high they were not going to get fixed within the context of the tech job because I was spending so much of my life energy like coding stuff when really 
the second that I pulled the lid off my emotions, they were like, please help us. And it was such a powerful force in me that I, I had no explanation for it yet. I hadn't built up the emotional vocabulary that I have now. I was just like, I feel bad all the time. I want something different. I did hang out with a lot of counterculture people, which I am super grateful for. And some of them were nomadic. Some of them had like never had quote real jobs in their lives. And I saw that that was possible. And something in me was like, oh, I need to, I need to try this. I need to wander off into the void. They've done it and they're fine. Clearly this is a practically real possibility. And so I didn't exactly leave because of choice. Like I wouldn't put it that way. It was more like things got so bad that like how scary leaving was, was like the better option. And since wandering in the underworld, I've like actually feel more robust and like created a different life path that feels more holistically good. But that's a huge surprise to me. Like I could not have predicted that at the outset. It was more of like, a, hmm. I've done really hard things before. I, I felt anchored in that knowledge about me. Like, okay, if I've like done theoretical quantum computing research, like that's really hard. I can probably figure out this other really hard thing, even if I don't know how yet. Here we go. But it was an act of self-care, but it wasn't an act of like, I had not learned to love myself then yet, whatever that means. Yeah, the one thing I hear that I think is really beautiful is the power of a good question, right? Like that one manager asking you, is there anything that made you feel uncomfortable? It sounds like that was really a turning point. And it's such a simple tool, like, you know, asking a good question. And I guess it's, it's sad that you hadn't encountered that question before. But I, I guess it's also beautiful that you then found it and that that kind of allowed yourself to think about things in, in different terms. I would love to, to understand specifically the journey that you took into the body, right? Because it sounds like when, when you name the research you were doing and the maths and the coding and all that, I, I have an assumption that most of the people who do that all the time aren't very much in their body necessarily. Whereas now, well, you know, you're a body therapist, you, you do exactly that. So this, this path of embodiment of finding your body, tuning into your body, getting to know your emotions, getting to know the, the states of your body. What was that like for you to discover that part of yourself that you hadn't accessed before? Oh, it was, it was really funny and also really helpful. Like clearly I love it now. Um, when I first encountered it though, like there were just people walking around going like, it's important to pay attention to your body. And part of me was like, really? Like, is that just, that sounds like an axiom that like I wasn't using, but you're just totally using how can you prove that to me was the approach that I took. Um, and I think, I think Rosalind on Twitter at one point said like, you are meant to experience life with your whole body, not just with your head. 
not like numb from the neck down. And I read that and I was like, I just like that's intriguing. If that were true, what would that mean for the rest of my life? But I had just nobody had ever talked about this in my sphere before. It had never been on my awareness, much like that one question from my manager. And but something in me did light up and like want that to be true. So I was really welcoming of that. I was like, okay, if that were true, what would that mean? Let me like prototype some small things in the world. Let me like do some body stuff. Oh, okay. I feel much better. And slowly over the course of learning body work, I did actually regain feeling, which is crazy. Like now I can feel my heartbeat anywhere on my body, like anytime I can drop in there. I'm like, oh, I know what my spine is doing at any time. That's crazy that I used to have to like look up what stretches to do because now I'm just like, if I drop in, like the unwinding just happens. It's like really obvious to me that my right side sacrum is locked up. Um, and the nice thing about it, it really does just feel better. Like it's a source of energy. Before I was leaking energy in a huge, huge, huge way. So that was part of my health issues. And in learning to tune into my body, it's something that feels good for its own sake, which is awesome. And like joy comes from here, nourishment comes from here. Without a connection to this, of course the only thing I was doing was leaking energy before. Um, but I did go a very left-brained way about it, which I'm going to tell my past self now. I'm like, it is possible if you only have a left brain to learn to tune into your body. I, I wondered back then, I'm like, am I just sunk? Is there like no way that I can do this? But turns out there's literally massage school and there's lots of practitioners that are super, super happy to teach. And the school for, format worked really well for me. And now I wonder, yeah. When you say teach, you mean, do you mean like with a, an approach that is quite um, left brainy or kind of explaining concepts and, and theory before actually going into the body? Yes, and. So there are some people that do that. And for that, I'll give a specific shout out to my mythosomatics teacher of all things, um, Josh Shry of the Emerald Podcast who like teaches how myth and dormant modes of human sensing that cultures other than ours have had. And this is hugely wrapped up in how I spend so much time in the woods. He teaches that incredibly right-brained thing, but in a way that's like super left-brained compatible. Like he will tell you the mythic story and then explain exactly He's like, oh yeah, so see the youngest daughter like listened to this weird old hermit that came up asking her for bread. So she like took his feelings into account and, and needed that explanatory piece to like build the muscle to just learn more abstract things. I really didn't have it before. So that's the yes part. Um, the and part is that with bodywork specifically, 
teachers can just create feelings in us. Like there are certain teachers that walked into a room and I just watched her do a massage and I felt it was transmission teaching. I'm like, oh, I just call up that memory now and I have that. I can't explain what that is. It worked directly on the level of feeling. And having experienced that enough, I now trust that it's a real thing. I just didn't before. Hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's beautiful. I'm also curious how how all of these discoveries and, and learning to drop into your body in that way and learning about the body from this more theoretical perspective, um, how did that all translate to, let's say, the inner dialogue that you have with yourself? Um, you know, the, the voices in your head, the way you speak to yourself, the, um, let's perhaps say just you know, how kind you are to yourself or something like that, how compassionate you can be. Because I am convinced that there is a very closely, um, well, a very close relationship between tuning into the body and our capacity to hold space for our thoughts and emotions and just how we function as humans. And I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that comes up for me immediately is that being there for myself is not just a matter of saying the right words. So it's like, there are certain feelings that I have to, and also have the privilege to call up within me. Um, if I sound begrudging about self-love, that's because I really was for a long time. Because um, in my history arc, I grew up an only child. I was like left alone in a house for a really long time. So like this doing everything myself thing and like creating all my own love, like I really had to push back against that for a long time as emotional health people like tried to explain it to me. And I'm like, okay, doing everything myself, no. But always being on my own team, yes, totally. I'm like 100% aligned with that. And with being there for myself, so that's, that's the phrasing that I'll use. The words can be a doorway. Um, I have another mentor, James Mayfield-Smith, who was my somatic coach for a bit, and now we've graduated to doing collaborations together, which is really great. He was the one who like sat me down and was like, Alana, you're like, okay, so say you're panicking right now, because I was totally panicking at various <laughs> points a year ago. Can you say like, hello, panic, I hear you, I see you, I'm listening? And I tried that and it didn't resolve the panic, but it did. It took it from like a hundred to 80%. So I was like, okay, there's like something here. And then I would have some other strong emotion. Like I'm like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed by disgust and judgment for like somebody else. And he's like, okay, hello, disgust and judgment. I hear you. I see you. I'm listening. And I'm like, are you sure that it's just the same thing, no matter what comes up in my field? But it is. And that part of my internal dialogue, like, I hear you, I see you, I'm listening. It's just like in there now, like I have a practice of doing this all the time. But it also doesn't work if I just like think it, it like works a little bit if I think it. 
And I hear you, I see you, I'm listening. I like stand up a little straighter, like tune into my spine. And then occupy this space of witnessing and being there for myself in a feeling way that I don't think I would have gotten. It may have just taken way longer if I wasn't a bodywork practitioner. Because the main thing I noticed is that the feeling that I have like really affects this session. It was awesome. I got I got so much feedback because I work with people. And I'll be doing like the same thing with my hands, but if I call up a different feeling inside of me, their tissue or muscles release or they'll, like, or they'll like take a deep breath the very second that I like drop into the nurturance of it all. And when I'm called on to be there for myself, that's what I draw on. I'm like, all right, where's that space? of presence and witnessing and like being with that I got to build the muscle up in my bodywork practice because the physicality of it really taught me that it's possible to say any words at all and still feel any way but with people's bodies I'm like it depends on how I'm feeling if I can't feel this way their muscles are gonna stay stuck or I'm not going to say that they could always have a spontaneous miracle recovery, but the healing practice is me feeling a specific way of being there for myself. So my inner dialogue is more about returning to that felt somatic space. And it has, it has word prompts like, okay, I hear you. I see you. I'm listening. And like, you're part of me. Let's do this together. Like all that sort of stuff. Um, hmm. I'm quite happy with my inner dialogue nowadays. It like is spontaneously really nice sometimes. It sounds really beautiful. I I love this idea of witnessing, and I'm convinced that most of the things that happen inside of us, be they voices in our head or emotions in the body, the only thing they need is really just to be witnessed, but witnessed with presence, like you describe, right? Like real honoring witnessing, not just like the words, like yeah, yeah I see you, but actually being present. So I, I really like that. And so it's so fascinating because I guess for most people who have been on the podcast, that kind of awareness and witnessing usually comes from a meditation practice or something that is more based in, you know, observing thoughts and then over time kind of noticing that the presence is not the thought and so on. And I've never really had anyone before who, who, gained that capacity from through the body, you know, like, that's, that's really fascinating. I really like that. I'd love to, to hear more about the forest, Elena, because, well, you mentioned that in, in, you know, when I asked you how to describe you, you mentioned that you hang out in the forest a lot. And I'm curious what that means to you, and especially to your relationship with yourself. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'm also super happy to be providing paths to the same core thing that a lot of people get from meditation that aren't meditation. Um, so my, it's really great that you asked this question because my two paths, alternate paths are body work and the forest. So here we go with the second one. 
Um, the number one thing really with the woods is that without my deep relationship to them, building a deep relationship to them made a huge difference in my attachment trauma. So I mentioned I had like PTSD. I've honestly mostly recovered from that knock on wood again, but I've also in another lens, I've totally recovered from that because now I just have like quote normal person problems. It's not really the same scope that it used to be. Um, but what came in as soon as I tuned into my felt experience for the first time, like four years ago, was like deep desire for attachment and consistency like I was there was no stable figures in my life um there I grew up with some but for various reasons there's a confluence of things that like took those away from me and it was such an enormous quality of life decrease because I did grow up with relatively stable attachment figures so I could tell I'm like wait I feel absolutely miserable all of a sudden. The depth of feeling that I had for these people that are no longer around, there's absolutely no way that I'm going to get this primal need in me met through people that I've just met, because these were like people I grew up with. And it was a very left brain thing. It was like, wait, okay, if I can attach to the earth, earth is literally always here that might actually work for me and to my big surprise it absolutely did and back in san francisco i thought i was pretty isolated in doing this but a big part of why i came to Asheville is the culture here is just so earth-based like honoring mama gaia is a thing that people do at most parties before they get to the ecstatic dance part and there's like a little altar in the corner most places. And it's where a lot of my nourishment comes from. Like I do, I walk outside and feel a tenderness. And it's, it's not like I just go for walks. I like put my hands on the ground or like lie on the ground or like climb a tree or whatever. I get that multidimensionality in. But I really do relate to earth and the outdoors with an animating spirit. So there's like a sort of connection that I used to think I could only get from people. But the earth has moods too. The energetic shifts are very, very, very subtle. So that's my pushback against like your relationship to yourself is the only one you have for the rest of your life. And like trees live hundreds and thousands of years easily. We forget that. But if you grow up next to this one tree, barring a wildfire or something like that, that tree will still be there too. And... Yeah, meditative practices of sensing plant energy. I don't normally 
use that frame to describe this, but yeah, my mythosomatics class also teaches how to perceive these animate energies around us and perceive like everyone will get different results. That's part of it. Just the same way everyone will get different results talking to a person. But it feels social in a very stable way. Like it does the same thing, not to the same intensity that people do, but I needed something like more stable and grounding. And it connects me with the animate life force that moves us all. Like we really have a lot in common with the tree. And yeah, it's been a big part of my own ability to stand up as an adult on my own two feet, like the relationship to fundamental nature of where I came from. I have another tweet. Um, some people call it connecting with nature. I like to call it connecting with the way things actually are. It's like we came from that. It's still right there. It's the fundamental ground matrix. And if you hang out with it enough, you'll notice that certain trees seem to want to engage with us and certain others don't. There's so much depth out there. The part of you that reads nonverbal body language yeah. Um, the this was my left brain gateway into it was that oh talking to plants is turning on the part of me that reads body language in people. Yeah, I yeah. I feel very drawn to trees and to forests specifically. Um, when I am in my home in Sofia. I kind of go for a walk in the forest every day because it's just like a 10 minute walk from my door. So it's easy. And I always feel there's a certain sacredness to that practice of, you know, being surrounded by, by living things in the end. And it's, it's funny. And I almost hesitate to say this, but there's this one tree that I have a particular relationship with. It's this beautiful oak. And I sometimes feel a desire to, to touch the oak, you know, and then I noticed that more recently, I've begun to consider consent, which is something very strange when you think about it, like, sometimes I was like, wait, I feel a desire to touch this oak, but does this oak consent to being touched by me? That's an interesting question. I didn't really know how to parse that even in my mind. Like, I was like, why does that come up? And so now more recently, I'm, I'm just kind of trying to tune into like, hey, does the oak feel like being touched right now? Is it okay for me to touch it or not? And then sometimes I touch it and sometimes I don't. I'm like, hmm. and I just, I find that almost amusing to notice that behavior in myself and to talk about it. Because if I had told myself that 10 years ago, I would have laughed, right? I would have like, what on earth are you talking about? And I'm not saying that I believe that you know, the tree communicates with me in some way, but I guess it's just me tuning into a part of myself and then communicating with that part through nature in some way. I don't know how that works and I don't need to know, but it's nice to kind of like just sit with that practice and let it arrive in me. Oh, that's super sweet. And you say, yeah, you don't need to believe that the tree communicates with us. I'll say that I believe that. You can let that be on me. <laughs> 
Yeah, sure. I, I also have no problem with people believing that. It's like, yeah, when it, I guess when it comes to belief systems and specifically epistemology, I'm I'm still kind of on the cautious side of things. You know, I I practice epistemic humility most of the time, or I try to at least. So I'm very content with just saying, I don't know about many things and that's okay. But I love, I love this tree practice. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. Elena, as we, as we come to like, more like the end of this conversation, I would also love to know if there are things that are still specifically difficult for you in your relationship with yourself. Ooh, spicy. Um, I mean, what first comes up is this hesitancy. Like I still have the resentment of growing up mostly on my own. So now I'm like, you mean like I've still got to keep relating to myself? What's going on here? Is it ever done? Can't someone else just do it for me? Um, but acknowledging how drained my early self was, was a huge piece of it. And I have gotten very good at finding myself support so that I don't need to do everything by myself. Um, the part that I'm still working on is like recreating stable relationships, which is also quite challenging as a not very rooted 27 year old. Like I'm in Asheville. I have the amount of friends that is normal for me being here for a little under two years, which is still nothing compared to the like depth of attachment that I did grow up with and then lost to people just moving away for school and jobs and whatever. So that's the biggest frontier, the like drainingness of trying to do everything myself. And saying that though, I'm grateful to have like quite a bit of support at this point. Like I've finally found emotional health mentors that actually resonate with me. So my mythosomatics teacher, James, my collaborator. Um, there's another coach I'm working with specifically about attachment stuff, which is fascinating. Um, she's Angela Wetzel on Instagram. And I just keep surprising myself. That's another challenge where I'm like, it can also be a gift, but like sometimes the things that surprise me are like, oh my God, okay, now that I've made this commitment to witness all of myself, like you really mean that I've got to look at like, this part where I'm totally acting like a seven-year-old and I see that, um, like I'm like feeling really intense emotions about this thing that I want to pretend doesn't matter, but clearly the feelings are in me. So I guess they're my responsibility. There's like a live window into my inner monologue. I'm like, oh my God, did this really happen? Oh my God, I guess this happened. Okay, let me stare at myself in the mirror and just notice that I'm still here and grounded. And I guess I'll find something to do about this. Um, the challenge used to be just finding help. Um, so I'm really glad that that challenge has changed. I feel like I have enough help now. 
2017 in my big crisis, I looked for help and like none of it really connected for whatever reason. Now the challenge is more the implementation details. But I feel so, so grateful that anything in me will always have a place to be voiced, which was not always true. That sounds so wonderful. It, it even feels grounding when I hear you say that, you know, everything in me will always have a space, will always have a place. Yeah, I resonate with that. I feel it's a form of compassion. And I think likewise, once you have that, once you have access to that feeling inside of you, it becomes easier to hold that space also for others. Whereas, you know, whatever comes up in others will also be seen. Beautiful. And I thank you so much for this conversation. I, I want to ask you one more question. Um, that is a bit of a meta question that I often end with. And that is, is there perhaps a question that you would have loved to answer, but that I haven't asked you? I feel an aliveness in me to talk about the forest a little bit more. So I'll, I'll go with that. Um, Wonderful. Yes. One interacting with the forest. So like, recognizing that that's where my food comes from i mean now it doesn't because it gets on plane rides and all that but it feels so much easier to connect with the mothering spirit of the earth when i'm like you that i'm eating you you without you i would not exist i owe my life to this sweet potato and so connecting with that food cycle in a real embodied way. Like my mind doesn't have to remind myself to feel connected to the earth. I just eat the food and I'm like, thank you for this food. That was delicious. And you came from the earth. And then suddenly, suddenly I have that felt sense of warmth, which is really lovely. And two, the more I learn about how social forests are, the more my left brain is like, oh my God, people need to know this. Because um, trees share resources with one another and chemically signal to one another. There are these crazy mycelial networks. The fungus is like also involved in keeping the trees in contact with one another. When an old tree dies, um, it has, I think a factor of a hundred more mycelial connections than younger trees because it's been accumulating them over its lifetime. So the richness of the network goes away if we, alas, chop down the old trees as they have done in most of the US. So the forests that we see outside are not like the full breadth of what forests can be. Nearly 95% of the US was clear cut sometime in the 1800s or early 1900s, which is a crazy engineering feat, but tuning into this network effect of the woods, I, it's so easy for me to feel connected to them when I'm like, you, you don't talk in words, but you absolutely communicate with other trees. And if I tune this part of my antenna that can receive you, we're really all here. It's like, basically impossible for me to feel alone. I just look at the life outside of me that I have this built relationship with now. So I'd like people to know that. Um, there's another tweet that stuck with me that's like, 
it's possible to feel the same warmth and tenderness for yourself that you do when like looking at a loved one or like you have a crush on someone. It's also really possible to feel that for nature. Yes. Yes. I agree. I've had many crushes in the forest. Aww. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Elena. This was this was lovely to hear you speak about the body and the forest in these ways. Uh, one more thing. Where can people find you and connect with you or read your thoughts? You know. Yeah, mostly on Twitter. Um, I'll get a Substack up at some point in the near future. Um, but I am relic underscore radiation, named after the most poetic phrase I found in a physics textbook. And yeah, I'm doing, what am I doing? Um, emotional health collaborations with James Mayfield Smith that you'll just find on my Twitter page. And if I get to do a plug, I'm like, these were super instrumental in me coming into my own emotional health, specifically the work I did with him. And now I'm offering that as an act of service to everyone who might relate to my past self. I'm like, you don't have to wander around in the dark anymore. Like here's real movement and real help. So if that intrigues anyone listening to this, I absolutely invite you to hop on in and you'll see that. It should be pretty obvious on my Twitter page. Um, and I'm getting websites up soon, but they will also be linked there. Great. Then I will point at your Twitter. Just to be clear, the sessions you were talking about, do they happen online or is that a, like a live thing in Asheville? Oh, they happen online. Yeah. Okay, great. So anyone can tune in. Great. Good to know. And then I thank you so much. Have a beautiful continuation of your day. And I will see you on Twitter. Thank you. Yeah, really great to talk with you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also read more of my thoughts on Twitter. I will post a link in the description. And if you are interested in improving your relationship with yourself, please subscribe to my email list at relatingtoself.com. I will then send you meditations, rituals, practices, and more of these beautiful conversations. Thanks. Thanks.